Well, good morning. I have a question for you today. If you had a 24-hour period to do what would bring you great and deep joy, what would you choose to do? Last year, I read a quote that stopped me in my tracks. It was so compelling that it actually caused me to rearrange my life. It simply said this, if you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. I hate splinters. It's amazing what God uses to get our attention sometimes. And I'll come back to that quote in a moment. I wonder, as apprentices of Jesus... If we've forgotten something that God really cares about. A practice from the way of Jesus and even before that at creation itself that we desperately need to recapture. It's the practice of Sabbath. Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to stop. It can also be translated to delight. The Sabbath is simply a day set apart each week devoted completely to resting and delighting and um, in, in the world, in our lives in it, and also, most importantly, in God himself. Sabbath is not a new thing. It's just new to us. A.J. Swoboda says this in his book on Sabbath. Our road-weary, exhausted churches have largely failed to integrate Sabbath into their lives as vital elements of Christian discipleship. It's not as though we do not love God, we love God deeply. We just do not know how to sit with God anymore. And then he goes on to say, the result of our Sabbath amnesia is that we have become perhaps the most emotionally exhausted, psychologically overworked and spiritually malnourished people in history. Ouch. <laughs> I wonder if you relate to any of that. Are you tired, weary, burdened, restless? I wonder. Did you know that we actually can't get through the first two pages of the Bible without reading about rest? In the account of creation, in Genesis 2, verses 1 to 3, we read, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God rested. Did you catch that? God, God who doesn't get tired, he doesn't get worn down, he doesn't need a holiday, who is without parallel to any other being in the universe, rested. After six days of amazing creative work, God rested. And in doing so, he built a rhythm into the DNA of creation. God worked for six days, rested for one. He created intentionally. He made a system for life, not just a system of life. And therefore, rest just like light and water is something that creation needs in order to flourish. When we fight this rhythm, we go against the grain of the universe. That's where the splinters come in. Can I just point out that God made Adam and Eve on day six? Day seven was the day of rest. I don't know if you've ever connected the dots there, but it's pretty powerful that Adam and Eve's first full day of existence was a day of rest. All they had to do was enjoy what God had done. They began with rest and then they got to work later. 
That's a really beautiful first impression they get of their creator. This passage also tells us that this day is blessed and holy. And in the Genesis story, three things are blessed. Animals, humans, and then a day. Interesting. With the first two, the blessing is a life-giving ability to procreate, which means to fill up the world with more life. I wonder then if the fact that God also blessed a day meant that this day can fill up the world with more life. Holy means to be set apart for and dedicated to God. In Hebrew, the word used is this weighty word, kodosh. Usually this word is used for God. God is kodosh, he's holy. The day of rest is the one thing that God deems as holy in creation. It's not just a day off, it's a day we find God, a day where we rest and we worship. So, there is a day that is blessed and holy, a rhythm of creation six and one. Does your life reflect this? Some of you might need to hear about the six days of work because Sabbath rest assumes work. You don't have one without the other. But there's probably more of you who need to hear about the day of rest. My observation is that many of us don't rest until we have to. Then we don't rest very well. We confuse rest with distraction and entertainment and things that numb us. And then we don't rest very long, just long enough to turn up to the next thing. The truth is, if we don't rest, we won't be well. We might be fine for a while, but over time our bodies and minds and souls will pay a hefty price for ignoring the rhythm of rest that is creation. Our need for rest is kind of like gravity. It just is. Our feelings and our opinions can't change it. Humans were created to need rest, literally. And without it, things will cease to exist as they should. John Mark Comer says, Odds are that Sabbath is coming for you, whether as delight or as discipline, meaning forced rest because you get sick or a crisis comes. Whether you welcome it or fight it, it just is, because there is a rhythm that God created you to live into. Sabbath, so one day of rest in every seven, invites us to rest for our minds, our bodies and our emotions, to just stop and lay it all down. It's an act of trust in God that he keeps the world and we don't need to. And one of the things that you find about Sabbath is that when you take away um, a day and, and you do nothing in that day, the universe actually gets along fine without you. Sabbath is a weekly reminder that there is a God and he's not me. Rest is essential to our apprenticeship to Jesus. Think about it. Jesus is not glorified by hurried, frazzled, on the edge, unhappy, exhausted people. People aren't going to look at us and say, I really want what they've got. He's given us the task of loving, loving God and loving people. And loving well comes from a place of being emotionally healthy and spiritually awake. We need rest. One of the most beautiful things about Sabbath is that God sets the rhythm. We don't. 
every seven days. So Sabbath comes at the end of an amazing week. Sabbath comes at the end of a really difficult week. And Sabbath comes at the end of a really busy week. It's like God is offering us a rope, no matter what our week has been like, to stop us from getting lost. A rope that constantly leads us back home to Him. Sabbath becomes an anchor point. It orientates our hearts, our bodies and our minds towards our Creator. Let's move forward in the Bible to Exodus chapter 20. So Israel were fresh out of Egypt where they had been slaves for hundreds of years. They were camping around Mount Sinai and about to become a holy nation and they needed a mission statement for how to live in their new reality of freedom. So God gave them the Ten Commandments. The fourth commandment says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Have you ever noticed that this is the only commandment of the 10 that begins with the word remember? Go and check it out later. I wonder if God knew that this would be the one that we would be the most likely to forget. In Hebrew, the word remember means to bring into your active memory a reality that gives shape to your life and behaviour. It's not just a thinking thing. It's also the only one of the Ten Commandments with a why behind it. And the why goes back to that story in Genesis that we've just read, calling people to rhythms of grace. So let's keep moving forward in the Bible. This time let's go to Deuteronomy 5. So it's been 40 years now since Mount Sinai. The next generation of Israel were on the edge of the Jordan River, about to cross into the Promised Land. Most of them weren't at Sinai or they were too young to remember. And the majority of them no longer had any felt example of slavery. So Moses decided it was time for a refresher. But this time there's a subtle shift. The first word has changed from remember to observe. In Hebrew, to observe means to keep, to watch over it. Does that strike you as odd that God would need to command his people to observe a day that's deeply life-giving? What's with that? You would think they would be chomping at the bit to practice Sabbath. But apparently there's something about the human condition that makes us want to rebel against that. We should be wary of this in our own lives. And the second subtle shift is at the end. It's the same command, but with a different reason behind it. This time it says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He reminded them that they were no longer slaves, that they were free. Egypt had been built on an insatiable lust for more. Desire was never satisfied. No matter how hard the Hebrews worked, it was never enough for Pharaoh and Egypt as a whole. And as slaves, they only had value in what they did and what they produced all day, every day until they died. 
So in their new reality, Sabbath for ancient Israel was like a line in the sand saying, we will never go back. We live free. I wonder how far removed we really are from that system of Egypt today. Our society is addicted to productivity and accomplishment and accumulation. We have an insatiable lust for more. Our culture tells us to want more, work more, buy more, have more, be more, experience more, do more. Our identity is often based on how well we do, how much we do, how much we have and what other people say about us. I would argue that we need this practice of Sabbath as much as the Israelites did, again, as a line in the sand, as a way of saying enough. We don't need more stuff, more devices, more square footage, more experiences, more work promotions, more money, more stamps in the passport, more recognition. Instead, we can live in the joy and the delight of our life right now. We have been called out of a world that's trying to prove its worth by what it does or possesses. Sabbath is a weekly reminder that our identity is not from what we do or own or have or what others think of us, but rather that we are who we are loved by. It reminds us that we live in alignment with God and his system, not the system of the culture around us. Sabbath is a practice that leads our hearts away from slavery and greed and discontentment and restlessness and into the freedom and the gratitude and contentment and restfulness of the kingdom of God. We are to be the people who don't get sucked in but who stand for an alternate story. So what about Jesus? Let's Skip over to the New Testament and see what he thinks of Sabbath. Jesus practiced Sabbath on a weekly basis. We can see that in all the Gospels. It also seems to be a day for Jesus to get into trouble. In story after story in the Gospels, Jesus is tangling with the Pharisees, usually around the idea of what's acceptable activity on the Sabbath. For example, in Mark chapter 2, Jesus is walking with his disciples through a field, picking heads of grain to eat on the Sabbath. The Pharisees were watching and disapproving and accused them of doing what was unlawful. Now, the Pharisees were rule people. Their hearts were not bad. They really wanted to obey the rules, but they had lost their way a bit. They would take a commandment from the Torah and they would add extra bits to it. So by the time of Jesus, there was this thing called the Mishnah, which was the oral law with an extra 1,500 rules attached to it. So the disciples weren't breaking the Torah. They were breaking the Mishnah, the extra rules made by people. So Jesus confronts the Pharisees about their narrow religious perspective and his answer to them was profound. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He was reminding them that they had lost sight of what the Sabbath was about and they had turned this life-giving day into a legalistic rule. And then to add fuel to the fire, in the very next chapter we read this. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. 
Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. The religious leader's response was cold and calculated. And instead of celebrating this life-changing healing, they began their plans to murder Jesus. This is what religious legalism does. They got out of sync with God's heart. That's a great reminder to us that if we make this, if we make Sabbath about rules, then we've missed the heart of it. And a rule-based spirituality is the very thing that Jesus came to frustrate. Jesus saw Sabbath as an ideal day to heal and restore broken people. In Mark 1, he cast out an unclean spirit. Mark 3, as we've just read, healed the man with the withered hand. John 5, he healed a man who was ill for 38 years. John 9, healed a man born blind. And in Luke 13, he healed a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. All of this on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a day for healing and wholeness, both physical and spiritual. It was true in the first century, and I would argue that that's still true today. If this is landing in your spirit and your heart today, you might be wondering, what could Sabbath look like practically for you? Remember, the invitation is to stop, to stop working, stop wanting, stop worrying, to rest physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, let God be God, to delight in what you've been given in creation, in people, in the good, the beautiful and the true, and in the goodness of God in your life today, and to worship, to ponder the love of God and see how incredible the world is and naturally leads to worship. I'm a Sabbath keeper now, That splinter quote last year took me on a journey of finding out what I could about Sabbath and then stepping in to practice it. So I totally got myself a t-shirt. I have to hold this up for longer this time, they tell me. Can you focus on that? So I won't forget what I'm saying yes to on Sabbath and I reckon it'll be a conversation starter one day um, when I'm out and about on my Sabbath. I'm not being disrespectful or dishonouring by that either, going, hello, Sabbath. That's actually what I say every day. It's, hello, Sabbath. This is a delight. It tells us in Isaiah, um, in Isaiah 58, to call Sabbath a delight. I love this. It is truly glorious. But back to you. There are an amazing variety of Sabbath possibilities for you. There's no one right way to do this. And it's so tragic that many of our older generation experience Sabbath as everything they weren't allowed to do. When considering your Sabbath practice, um, ask yourself these questions. Question one, what could I do that would fill my soul with deep joy? That's where we started today. What could bring me to a place of wonder or gratitude and praise? 
Two, what things connect me to Jesus and his rest? And three, the one that I have to ask myself often, what is my honest motivation in wanting to do this particular activity? Am I still trying to be productive or improve the world or am I genuinely posturing my heart towards God's rest? Remember, rest and worship are broad categories. As Jesus showed us, there's freedom in the ambiguity of what is rest and what is work on Sabbath. By worship, I mean anything that leads your heart towards grateful recognition of God's reality and goodness. It's not just sitting around singing Bethel songs and praying all day. For some people, Sabbath might include reading a book, walking on the beach, spending time with a good friend, writing in a journal, unrushed prayer, getting out in nature, climbing a mountain, napping, going for a long walk, a meal with a bunch of friends, meditating on scripture, playing games with your family, reading a psalm, sitting by a fire, lovemaking. Now some of you are listening and think you might be into Sabbath. That's just for the spouses, okay? Engaging in something creative like painting or dancing, photography, woodwork, making music, drawing or so many other possibilities. Go on a picnic. One of our staff suggested roller skating. Anything that leads your heart towards grateful recognition of God's reality and goodness. Now, my guess is that there's probably three main responses among those of you hearing this today. Firstly, there'll be those of you who are really drawn to this and you'll start to practice it and it will be life-changing for you. Secondly, there'll be those who think it kind of sounds interesting enough to dabble with, but it won't become part of their life rhythm. And third, there will be those who are against it. Some people will write it off as a legalistic Jewish thing from long ago, unworthy of consideration for our modern world. Others will dismiss it as an idealistic, if not impossible, practice. Some will argue that we don't need to keep the Sabbath because it was part of the law and there's no command to keep the Sabbath in the New Testament. And others will reason that we live in a spirit of restfulness all week long because of Christ's finished work on the cross. Personally, I can't help but ponder that rest still stands as a rhythm of creation. Nothing changes that. Jesus practiced Sabbath weekly. He did nothing to annul it. Instead, he brought us back to the heart of it as being a day of restoration and wholeness and healing. And I can't get past the fact that when we look at the other Ten Commandments, the other nine aren't in question. Is murder fine now that we've been forgiven by Jesus? Is adultery okay? Can we now finally lie and steal? Of course not. So why would this one be in question? I don't think it works to turn it into nine commandments and one suggestion. But whether or not we have to enjoy this gift, I don't personally care. I want to. I reckon I owe it to my creator and his lavish generosity to enter it and to enjoy it. And then there's those who are going to reject it because of their life stage. And I get this, I truly do. But unfortunately, when it comes to rest, we turn today into someday. When I finish uni, when I get married and start a family, oh, when my kids are older, when work slows down, when my spouse and I have the same day off, when I retire, when I die. We procrastinate. It's always when, when, when. And it's a tragic way to frame your life. 
One of the greatest temptations of the spiritual life is to believe that if I was in another season, I could be more spiritual. The truth is that spiritual transformation takes place as we embrace the challenges and the opportunities associated with each season of our life. And please remember, we're not asking you to do more. We're asking you to do less. Parents, a special word to you. Yes, there are stages that are particularly tricky. I know that. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't practice Sabbath. And borrowing the words of John Mark Comer, because they're really good, and I want you to hear this, so come back to me if your mind's drifted, okay? You are right now laying the foundation for the soul of your children, for the family story that will mark you for decades to come. There is an emotional and a spiritual and a relational heritage that you have the opportunity to pass on. And your children will look back at Sabbath as some of the best memories of their life when you were there and off your phone and present and your best self as a gift to them and a gift to your God as well. And can I say, this is me now, not John Mark. I am so sad that nobody taught me about this earlier. As a mum now of a young adult and a 15-year-old and in a stage where we do not have a day of the week that one of us isn't working in paid employment, I've missed so many of those opportunities that John Mark speaks about. And I grieve that. You have to decide if you're up for this. I'm not sure what it would take for you. For me, it was splinters. But let me be really honest with you. Practicing Sabbath will take feisty intentionality. It will not happen by accident. It's a deliberate, radical, countercultural practice. And it requires us to live in a rhythm that goes against everything our culture knows. The Sabbath steps on every idol that we worship productivity, accomplishment, and accumulation. And it will require hard and courageous decisions to be made. Because say, saying yes to enter Sabbath means saying no to a whole lot of other things. You cannot love something that you personally don't know. The Sabbath cannot be loved as an idea. It has to be loved in the doing. We're not invited to know about the Sabbath. We are invited to know the Sabbath. And once you get a real taste of it, there's no going back. It's profoundly life-giving. The words of Ruth Haley Barden sum up the experience of so many of us who practice Sabbath. She writes... The truth is that Sabbath keeping is a discipline that will mess with you. Because once you move beyond just thinking about it and actually beginning to practice it, the goodness of it will capture you body, soul and spirit. You will long to wake up to a day that stretches out in front of you with nothing in it but rest and delight. You'll long for a simple way to turn your heart toward God without effort. You'll long for a space in time when the pace is slow and the family and friends linger with one another, savouring one another's presence because no one has anywhere else to go. You will long to sit on your couch or your own deck because it's yours, a gift from God that often gets overlooked in the rush of things. You'll long for the day when you can crawl back into bed for an afternoon nap which is all the more delicious because on this day, you know you're doing exactly what God wants you to. 
You will long for that leisurely walk or bike ride. You will long for the experience of preparing your favourite foods and sharing them with the people you love. You'll long to read a book for pleasure. You will long to light candles and read scripture and thank God from the bottom of your heart. You will long to feel quietness and peace settle over your house as you and your family enter into a different way of being together in God's presence. You will long for a few other people who understand the beauty of Sabbath time and will practice it with you. You will long for a community whose traditions enable you to honour the Sabbath rather than making it a day of Christian busyness. You will long for a rhythm of working and resting that you can count on. During the week, your whole self will strain toward the Sabbath with thoughts like, I know I can make it because Sabbath is coming. You will emerge from Sabbath with a renewed energy and hope thinking I can face my life now because I've rested. The Sabbath will become the centerpiece of your week and the kingpin of your spiritual rhythms. And even when an hour of it is robbed from you, you will grieve its loss. When you miss it, it will hurt. That's been my experience too. And as you begin to practice stopping, resting and delighting and worshipping for a day a week, you'll soon find that the other six days start to become infused with those same qualities. Perhaps that was always God's plan. Walter Brueggemann has this great line, people who keep Sabbath keep all seven days differently. Imagine what it would look like if our church family were Sabbath keepers, if we could live from a spirit of restfulness that bears witness to the way that we understand life and its rhythms and its gifts, its meaning and its ultimate purpose in God. Imagine what we could offer our city and each other if we were people of joy and gratitude and contentment and peace and calm from the inside out. People of generosity and attentiveness and wisdom. People who could love really well the kinds of apprentices that Jesus had in mind. Imagine the witness to an increasingly tired and boundaryless society that tries to find its value in doing and having. This is what Sabbath invites you to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are inviting us into this rest. Thank you that your design of the Sabbath gives us time to just be with you, to create space for you, to embrace our limits and our humanity and say to you, there's room for you to work here. Thank you that it helps us to be actively looking for your goodness in our lives. And thank you that it slows us down for long enough to encounter you deeply. God, would you teach us how to do this? We're not good at it. Would you teach us how to stop and rest and delight and worship? And for those whose spirits have been stirred today, God, would you fill them now with the courage and the feisty intentionality that they're going to need to make room for this in their lives, in a world that knows nothing of stopping for a day to rest and to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.